Well, good morning again. It is always, always, always a privilege to be here with you, uh, to be able to share the Word of God, and to be able to celebrate what God is doing, and more, more than that, who God is. I, I don't know about you, but in the midst of, of these recent weeks and all of the uncertainty, uh, the back and forth, and the insanity of everything that is, uh, it's nice to know that we have a God on whom we can depend a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that whatever we're facing, we can know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's an encouragement that I need, and I hope that you have that today as well. Thank you, Aaron. As we turn our attention now to the Word of God, uh, would you join me in, in going to God in prayer, asking that he would speak to us in these moments? Father God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us we thank you for the, the glory of who you are, the majesty of, of your power and your presence that is here with us now. Lord, I pray that we would sense your presence in a powerful way, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, that you would remove any distractions that may be keeping us from hearing the truth that you have for us today. Lord God, I think it is one of the most amazing miracles that your word is thousands of years old, written across many cultures and many ages by many people, yet here we stand today, and it still applies to us just as much in this day as it ever did in those. What a, what a miracle, of, what an act of grace, what an act of goodness. And so God, may as we hear your word today, may we receive your grace, may we receive the encouragement and the challenge and the charge to push us forward to be evermore your people, your children. God, speak to us through your word in this time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life, and I would assume that most of us have, where you get to the end of what is going on and you look at it and you're like, how did that just happen? How, how, how did all, looking at all of the pieces, that, all of the, the proverbial dominoes that had to fall, all the things that had to just be perfectly in place to get you to where you are, to experience what you experienced that moment. Have you ever stood there and looked at it and gone, gone only God. Only, only God could have been creative enough and organized enough to put things together in just the right sequence, in just the right way, just to, to bring me to this place at this time. I'll be honest with you. Me coming to First Baptist Church, my family and I moving here to Seymour, Indiana, was one of those things that as it kind of developed and I looked at it, I was like, only God could have done that. And I'll tell you why. It seems pretty simple on the surface, right? You send out information. You, you go to the database of the American Baptist Churches USA. You pull the, the different resumes, or you go to Indiana, Kentucky. They give you resumes. You interview the people. You bring them in. They, they interview you. You hire them, or you don't. Well, the, the problem was, by the, time, by the time our church, by the time First Baptist contacted me, I was done with American Baptists. Within, like, literally two days before I got the email from Kent Wagner, I had gotten, a, I'd gotten three calls in one day. Three calls in one day. One, one from a Baptist church not an hour from where we are standing right now. And that church sent me a message and said, I'm sorry, we're, we're dropping you out of the process. 
you're a little bit much for us, and we think that you just, we think that you lean a little bit too much towards the, what we would call a liberal theological side for us, and so this just isn't going to, this isn't going to work for us. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like even, even though what, what, what the translation of that mean is, really is in, in plain Baptist English is, you have tattoos and earrings. We can't do that. We, we don't do that here. Okay? I get that. Okay? Totally understand it. So that, that was, but it was disappointing, right? We were living in West Virginia. We were really wanting to come home to Indiana, and we were trying to do it within the denomination that we've been a part of. But so I'm thinking, it's okay. We got, we got, two, more, we got two more churches or organizations that could call. Within, within 30 minutes, I get a call from another one of the churches up around Indy area. That church calls me and says, hey, you know, we really appreciated talking to you. We like the look. We like, we, we like, we like the ideas, but we got to be really honest. We talked to you about a certain, certain issues here, and we just think you're too conservative. You know, as, as we look at you and we think of who you are, like you got the right look, but you're just, you're just, you're just a little bit too dedicated to certain points of, 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 of you from the scripture. We just don't think you're going to work here. You're too conservative for us. And then the, th- the fourth, the third group calls and they just said, we're just not interested. So, so in, in a matter of an hour and a half, two hours, I got calls from three different organizations within the American Baptist Church, not just the American Baptist Church, but the American Baptist Church, Indiana, Kentucky, saying to me that I was too liberal and too conservative. I, I got to be honest with you. I was devastated. I was devastated. Here it's, it is within the same denominational organization, and I'm too liberal and too conservative. What hope do I have? Right? Like, I, and I get it. Like, I have, I, I know who I am. I do, contrary to popular belief, look in the mirror. This is not accidental. <laughs> like, I, I didn't one day fall into a tattoo parlor and be like, oh my gosh, how did this get here? You know, it wasn't an accident. I know how I look. I know how, how, how I come across. I, I understand that. But it was really disappointing that all across the spectrum, three, three different places in the organization within a few hours, all saying, we don't want you. So to be completely honest, when I came in that morning and I looked at my email and I saw an email from one Kent Wagner telling me that the First Baptist Church of Seymour, Indiana was interested in interviewing me, I was like, all right. (laughs) So you know what I did with that email? Not a thing. I ignored it. I ignored it and went on with my life as if I never got it. But Kent if you've ever met Kent Wagner, he's not one to be deterred. And a couple, about a week or so later, I got another email from Mr. Kent Wagner. Hey, uh, Dr. Myers, I sent an email to you checking about getting some information. We're interested in interviewing for the position of senior pastor at First Baptist Church here in Seymour, Indiana. Would you please send us some information? So I was like, all right. You know, he's emailed me twice. Uh, fine. All right. Uh, Mr. Wagner, I, I, and he, he referred to me not as Dr. Myers, actually. He referred to me as Reverend Myers, which in the moment kind of put me off. So just being honest. So I was like, I, if, they're, if, they're, if they're one of those, the reverend churches, then they're, they're not going to like me, right? Another First Baptist church within an hour of the other one, this, I know where this is going to go. I've, I've played this game before. So I get the second email. Reverend Myers, I sent you an email asking for some sermon information and, and some more bio, you know, biographic information. Would you, would you please send that? We're very interested in talking to you. So I send him back an email, and I'm like, well, thank you, Mr. Wagner, for reaching out. I, I appreciate your interest. Um, you know, I will send you some information later today. Uh, God bless. We'll talk to you soon. And then you know what I did after I sent that email? Not a thing. 
It wasn't three or four days later that my secretary in my office, mind you that the only person that knows that I'm looking for another church is my senior pastor. My secretary in the church goes, Mr. Kent Wagner? Like, oh, I'll take the call, I'll take the call, I'll take the call. So I take the call, and, and he's like, hey, I, I, we've talked a few times. I haven't got that information. And I was like, okay, fine. I, I will send it out to you right now. And so while I was on the phone with him, I sent the information out to him. And within a few, I, I don't even remember how long. It was pretty quick after that that we had our first Skype call. Within a month of that, we had an in-person interview. We went through all of these different things. And I, I, remember, I remember standing with Robin, or standing with Robin outside of the church where I did the sample sermon, um, over towards uh, New Albany. And I remember standing at Robin, with Robin and looking at her going, how did we get here? How did, how did this happen? Like I, I literally did everything I could at the beginning because of my own hurt to undercut this process. And Robin looked at me, she may not even remember, and goes, only God. Like you, you almost messed this up. Only God could have done this. I find that often, that that's the case. You know, we, I think we give God less credit for the, the, the little miracles and things that he does in, li- in our lives. The, the times where we try to undercut ourselves, that we have another plan, we go a different direction. Or maybe it's the completely unexpected, where we just think there's no way that this could possibly happen. And something happens, and we have to look at it and go, only God. Only God. Is the story of Joseph not that? Where you look at all the different pieces and over and over and over again, you see these different things, these different occurrences, and you have to look at them and say, only God could have done that. I think that's the the overarching theme that we see, particularly in today's passage, as Joseph ascends to the top in Egypt. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 through 57. Genesis 41, starting in verse 41. And it says this, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephenath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Esenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of An. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. 
The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all the Egyptians began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. The people, then, then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. So we, we see in this text, we see in this passage, Joseph has finally arrived. And he's taken an incredibly, an incredibly circuitous route to get there, hasn't he? And, and, and I'm reminded as I look at what's going on in Joseph's life, Joseph surely had ideas. Joseph surely had plans, right? Thoughts of what, what he wanted to do. And I would argue probably at every stage of the journey, every trial that Joseph faced, every place he found himself, as he continued to be faithful and work through all that was coming his way, I'm, I'm beyond positive that Joseph recontextualized his dreams. He had various thoughts about what was going to happen and should happen, and he had hopes about where things were going to go. But ultimately, God was going to move how God wanted to. And I think there's a reminder there for us because we like to have our plans. We, we like to have a tight control over what's happening in our lives. We, we like to have some influence of where we're going and what's happening. We make plans. I love, I love the, the, the adage, the old adage, right? You know, man plans and God laughs. But we do, we plan, and we want to hold on to those plans as if God somehow doesn't know, or, or even worse, as if God somehow doesn't care or isn't involved in our lives. The encouragement I see in the life of Joseph, particularly in today's passage, is this. Leave room for what only God can do. Leave room for what only God can do. Only God could have done this. Only God could have brought Joseph to where he is. But you got to think that Joseph, even in his wildest dreams, would have never imagined this. often the case for us. But here's, here's the good news of the Bible, the good news of the truth of God's word, it is the God who gave you your dream is not limited by your understanding of it. The God who gave you your dream is not limited by your understanding of it. Let's, let's take that and, and, and apply it a little bit more pervasively to God's word. The God who gave you his word is not limited by your expectations and understanding of it. God can do what God wants to do in the way he wants to do it when he wants to do it. Just because you think something should hap happen a certain way does not mean that God is beholden to your thoughts. Just because you don't understand the way things are going to work out or the way things are going does not mean that God is doing the wrong thing. I would argue that in those moments where we don't understand, where we don't see, where we think that God is doing it wrong, that the error is with us. The God who gives our dreams is not limited by our understanding of them. There is zero chance that what Joseph is experiencing in this passage is what he had in mind when he first had his dreams. Remember back at the beginning when we started this that Joseph was, was out in the fields keeping watch over his brothers who were keeping watch over the sheep. And, and Joseph in that context, back, back in in Palestine, Joseph has this amazing dream that, that these sheaves are gonna, these sheaves of wheat are gonna come together and, and all the brothers are gonna have their sheaves and Joseph's is gonna stand tall, but theirs are all gonna bow down to it. There's no way that when Joseph had that dream, he was thinking Egypt. 
There's no way that Joseph, when Joseph had the dream of the sun and the moon and the stars all bowing to him that he thought of this moment. That being said, Joseph and his brothers and his father, they all have a clear expectation of what that dream means in that moment, don't they? They, they do. That's why the brothers are so mad. They, they, they understand that what Joseph believes is going to happen is that, that they're going to be his servants. They're going to serve him. That he is going to be this ruler over them. And, and don't get me wrong, spoiler alert, that is coming. But there's no way that Joseph could have pictured as a farm boy in the fields out in Palestine, watching over some dirty, nasty sheep, there is no way in his nomadic head that he was thinking about the palaces of Egypt, the greatest superpower of the world at that time. There is less than zero chance, less than zero chance that Joseph would have dreamed up the path it took to get him there, right? No one would have chosen the route that Joseph took to get him to where he was going. No one sold into slavery by his own brothers, falsely accused of sexual assault by the captain of Pharaoh's guard's wife, thrown into prison as not only a slave, but a criminal, forgotten by the friend that he comforted and helped on his way when he was in prison, the chief cupbearer, constantly ever doing the best he can wherever he can, rising to the top, only to fall back further towards the bottom. Even as Joseph stood before Pharaoh, as we read it last week, it's fairly clear to me that even then Joseph didn't believe that he was going to be the one that took this position. Why would he? Why, why would Joseph, a slave prisoner, believe when he tells Pharaoh, hey Pharaoh, you need to find yourself a discerning, wise, capable, qualified person. You need to find that person and you need to put them over all that's going to happen in these seven years of plenty. You need to find someone with experience, education, and wisdom. Pharaoh, you find yourself that person, and you put them in charge, and you're going to be okay. Notice, Joseph doesn't say, hey, I'm your man. He doesn't hold himself forward as the, as the ideal candidate. You know why? I think that Joseph didn't think he was the ideal candidate. He throws out the idea, and Pharaoh goes, oh, no, it's going to be you. You're going to do this. Is there anyone more discerning? Is there anyone in whom the Spirit of God is like you? Joseph, you're, you're doing this. And there's not going to be anyone in my kingdom that has any more authority than you. I will be Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, I will be Pharaoh. I will hold the position. I will be the figurehead. But is nobody in Egypt going to do anything without your say-so? This foreigner, slave, prisoner with a record, becomes the most powerful man in Egypt. The road was more difficult than he could have imagined. But the heights were greater than he dreamed. Again, in the matter of moments, Joseph goes from an imprisoned slave to the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world. Joseph has probably one of the most dramatic reversals of fortune ever recorded. 
he now trades, according to the passage, he trades his, his prison garb for robes, it says, of fine linen. A gold chain, uh, that, that would have been a, you, you can look at a bunch of different Egyptian paintings or Egyptian mummies and you see these, these gold chains. It was a, a symbol of his power and authority, something that people would immediately see and know that this is someone with power and prominence. He's, he's given one of Pharaoh's own signet rings. These are symbols that only one man can give and only one man can take. It's a complete reversal of fortunes. Now Joseph is paraded through town to confirm his new station as he travels through Egypt. And notice what, what it says in the text. In my, in my, my translation here, it says that as they, they traveled in, in the, the chariot, it says, people shouted before him, make way. This actually is not the most accurate translation of this. The most accurate rendering of these words is, bow down. Bow down. Now, isn't that interesting? Because it does change a little bit the inference of the text, and it makes a connection. What was Joseph's initial dream before? That, that he was going to be gathering this wheat with these other, others that would be ba- gathering wheat, and that, that the other sheaves of wheat would bow down to him. I think that's important. I think that's very important as we continue reading in the text, as we continue to go on. We're going to put a pin in that, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Because it's impossible to see the imagery of this moment and not see, to some extent, Joseph's original dreams playing out in this scene. He's just been brought on to collect all the sheaves of wheat in all of Egypt. And all of the people who are going to collect the sheaves of wheat in Egypt are bowing down before him? You gotta be kidding me. We could, go to, we could go to Hollywood and have producers put together a script for a movie and it could not be more dramatic or ideal than this. In fact, it's true. How many movies have they made about Egypt and about Joseph? I mean, go online, look at the History Channel. Try to count, try to count how many times the History Channel has sponsored a show that is going to talk about all of the details of the greatness of Egypt and, and the truth or untruth of Joseph and the people of Israel there. You couldn't write this. We couldn't pay someone to write something this good. Only God could do this. Again, I'd suggest that miraculous moments are more common than we give God credit for. That he consistently produces in and through us incredible and unlikely results. Oh, it may not be a parting of the sea moment. It might not be a rise to the very top of a government. But God does things and there are moments in each of our lives where we have to look at it and say, okay, this is not what I had in mind. I, I, I wouldn't have even imagined that this is possible. And maybe even I was working actively against this. Only God could do this. We need to leave room in our lives and our planning and in our, our, our producing and our moving forward. We need to leave room for what only God can do. Now we need to notice this as well about Joseph, that receiving his dream doesn't change who Joseph is or what he does. Look at verses 46 through 49. So Joseph is 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. 
And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully, plentifully. In verse 48, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. And Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Joseph, what do we see again? Yet again, this is, you know, it'd be one thing if he's in the the company of Pharaoh when he does this, but the fact is, is this any different than what Joseph has done throughout the entirety of the story? No, this is just Joseph. Wherever Joseph finds himself, whether, whether it's in whether it's in slavery in someone else's house, whether it's in the, the bowels of a prison, or whether it's in the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph is consistent. Whether it was back with his father, Joseph is consistent. He is a man of integrity who's doing the best he can with what he has. He is being faithful. Hard times are good times. Joseph does what Joseph does. He's just being faithful. Our dreams may drive us. We may have motivations. We may have ambitions. We may have thoughts for the future. But it will ultimately be our faithfulness that God uses to get us there. The reason that Joseph is prepared for this moment, the reason that Joseph is capable of doing what he's doing when he finally gets to the top is because he's been doing it his whole life. Our dreams may drive us, but it will be our faithfulness that God uses to get us there. The defining features of Joseph's life. You know, we remember him. We like to talk about him because of the grandness and greatness of his dreams. But really, he accomplished them not through force of will or because of imagination, but through selfless service. And what is so amazing to me throughout Joseph's story is that he achieves his own dreams What's amazing is that Joseph achieves his own dreams, not through pursuing his own dreams, but through facilitating the dreams of others and helping them to achieve theirs. Think about it. Back home when he was on the family farm, whose dreams was he accommodating and fulfilling? His father's. When he's in Potiphar's house as a slave in the house of Potiphar and everything is going well, whose dreams is Joseph Achieving Potiphar's. When he's in prison, whose dream is he helping to make a reality? The captain of the guard, the chief warden. When he talks to the chief cupbearer, whose dream does he help along? The chief cupbearers. And even now, in his faithful service, as he's standing at the precipice, whose dream is he fulfilling? Pharaoh's. You know, you and I, I think, can learn a lot from this. Because in the American mentality, the the American way is all about me doing what I can to lift myself up by the bootstraps and achieve beyond anyone's wildest imagination. We're the land where you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. And you, if you're willing to work for it, you can achieve it. And while to some degree that is true and a noble pursuit, We've got to be careful that in our pursuit of our own dreams, in our pursuit of what God lays before us, that we don't mitigate and marginalize those that God puts on the path around us. There's never a point where our dreams are explicitly and exclusively about us serving ourselves. I would argue if you look throughout Scripture over and over again, the people to whom God entrusts power 
prosperity, success, or even those that are in disfavor and struggling, the expectation from God is that we faithfully serve those that God places before us. We see that in the life of Joseph. Further, though, as we go on with the life of Joseph, we see something else that's important for us to remember. It's all too easy for us to reach the, the, the successful moment, right? To reach the, the pinnacle where, where we achieve the goal for which that, that we have been pursuing for so long. And it's easy as we're in the difficulty to say, oh God, please help me. God, move me through the struggle. But then to get to the top and have achieved it and say, look what I did. Look at the success that I've brought about. Oh, we, we lament our 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 difficulties and, and our indignities and our struggles and our infirmities and all the bad things in life. We, we lament those when we're in process and we beg for God to move in miraculous ways, to do what only God can do. And then we get to the moment where we receive what we've asked God for and somehow, all of a sudden, look what I did. But look what Joseph does. We need to remember God when he makes the dream a reality. We need to remember God when he makes the dream a reality. Joseph is blessed not just with a new position. Look what happens in the text. It says that Joseph is blessed with a brand new life. Joseph is blessed with a, a brand new people. Joseph is blessed with a brand new purpose. But he remembers who it was that brought him through to that point. Verse 45, we see that Pharaoh gives Joseph a name, and, and at that time, he, he puts Joseph in this prominent position, and he gives Joseph this wife, this Egyptian wife. That, that would fully ingratiate him and integrate him into Egyptian society. Now he's no longer just a foreigner. foreigner. He's an insider. He's one of them. Everything about Joseph to this point has changed. He's shaved his head. He's shaved his beard. He's changed his clothes. He now has a wife. And the point of it all is this is what makes him one of them. It works. But then we see in verse 50 something that is telling. Where Joseph's head really is. It says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. And Joseph named the first Manasseh, and the second he named Ephraim. These names of these sons, note that both of the names of the son are Hebrew names. Even though he has been accepted by the Egyptian people, he still remembers from whence he came. Not, and we're going to see here, it's not because he remembers or wants to be back in his father's house. It's because he remembers the God of his father. What does he name his first son? He names him Manasseh. The name Manasseh means to cause to forget. And Joseph's new half-Egyptian son completes his new family and allows him to leave behind the betrayal of his first family from the past. And he sees this new son as not only a gift from God, but a means of comforting him. He says, I named him Manasseh. It's because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. God, God, has, God, has, 
God has given me something to heal what was taken, to replace what is take, was taken from me. God, God has given me something new that is better that is here, and God is allowing me to forget the hurt and the heartache that brought me here. Second son is named Ephraim, and he says, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph specifies that this son that he names fruitful, that it was God who gave him the success through his suffering. Isn't that something? Joseph specifies where his success came from. Joseph specifies and and names his sons as monuments, living monuments to what God has done and what God has brought him through. Again, it's all too easy to remember God when we need something. Oh God, please give me this thing that I need and I really want. It's easy to remember God when the dreams seem unrealistic or out of reach. God, only you can make a way, and if you don't make a way, there's no way that this thing can happen in my life. God, please move and open up pathways for me to achieve and fulfill this purpose in my life. But it's also all too easy to forget God when things get good. We seem more than happy to rely on God to make things better when the going gets tough, but then take credit when the going gets good. Joseph is indicating that he believes that this is the dream. Notice there's nothing, as a matter of fact, the names of his son would seem to indicate to us that Joseph believes that the parts that he believed had to do with his brothers, that those were just misunderstandings. Remember, he said Manasseh, because God has helped me forget that family. They're just a thing of the past. To him, this is the dream. This is the end game. He just misunderstood all those years ago that his brothers and his father were going to be involved in this. But now he sees, and one, one has to understand why he sees it. It makes sense if you think about it. But even in the midst of it, he remembers and recognizes God who made it happen. You know, we serve a God who makes a habit of going above and beyond our expectations and understanding, don't we? Isn't, isn't that what it says in Ephesians 3? Ephesians 3, chapter 20, tells us, Paul says, Now to him who is able to what? To do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. That we have a God that can do, that often does immeasurably more than we could ask, but not just what we could ask, what we could imagine. That we have a God who is working, his, his working transcends time and space, the here and now, and we can't always see what he's doing. And in the midst of that, he is able to do above and beyond what we could ever even dream. Don't get it twisted. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel now. I'm not saying that it is always going to come out and it's going to feel like the best of the best things every time, all the time. I would hope that you would understand that if you've been here for previous sermons, that Joseph didn't have this awesome thing all the time. And even now, as he's sitting at the top, he's still having to use his son to forget the family that betrayed him. Joseph endured with patient faith and faithfulness, believing that the God who gave him the dream would grant it, however it might look. And he was content if he was supposed to live the dream as a slave in Potiphar's house. 
He was content if he had to live the dream as a servant in prison. He's content if he has to resettle and find a new family in Pharaoh's house. I think there's a lesson there for us, that wherever we find ourselves is a place where God can reveal himself, where God can move above and beyond our expectation, where God can make even more than our wildest imaginations reality. Joseph demonstrates a calm confidence. He shows a strong resolve to serve his God with integrity and faithfulness wherever he finds himself. He demonstrates the truth that we see in one of probably the most overused psalms in the Bible. In Psalm 37, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. We get that wrong. Because it says to us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, what is the desire of my heart? Is it not the Lord himself? Joseph can find a calm contentment wherever he is because he does understand that the God who gave him the dream will bring it to fruition. That his position or his place doesn't keep God from doing what only God can do. I I don't know where we find ourselves today in our lives. I do know from where we began this series that that in the midst of of the world that we're living in with all of the, the struggle, all of the political turmoil, all of the divides that are happening in our country, all of the discord, all of the dissatisfaction, all of the, the confusion and the chaos surrounding COVID, that, that at best a lot of us are confused and maybe just a, a might concerned. And I don't know where you are in your life, in your dreams, but I know that for me in my life and mine, that the dreams that God placed in my heart and on my mind, it feels like all of them are on hold. That it all, at least for now, at least the way that I saw it playing out and the way that I would do it is right now paused. Maybe that's true for you. But you know what? Just because the thing that we see as being the path to the dream is paused or blocked off doesn't mean that God's not still working. Beyond that, just because it seems like life is chaotic and crazy, just because there's a struggle and a difficulty does not mean that we are excused from being active according to the word of God and the plan that he has for us. Much like Joseph, whether it's difficult or whether we're standing at the top of the mountain, we need to be faithful We need to find the strength to serve others just as Christ came and served us. We need to trust the visions for our lives and the dreams, the hopes that we have to the God who gave them and the God who can grant them beyond the difficulties that face us. Christ came to make the impossible possible. That we might not just achieve the unthinkable dream here, but that he would make it available for us in eternity. 
This morning, we have the chance to take communion. If you've got your cup, I'd like you to take that out. If you need one, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll have one of the deacons bring you one. Looks like we're good. Oh, right here at the front. We need one for Carol. I got you. Josh, do you need yours? Throw that to Sharon. Or you keep that one. You're welcome. Go ahead and take the foam bread out of the top. You know, we talk about God doing what only God can do and God using our struggles and our difficulties to bring out unimaginable dreams. You know, for Joseph, that ended with him ruling alongside Pharaoh. For Jesus, it ended with him in the garden praying, God, please take this cup from me. And ultimately leading to him on a cross, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, dying a terrible death, being broken and beaten to pay the price for our sins. And the scriptures tell us that on the night that Christ was betrayed, that he took bread That when he had given thanks for it, that he broke it. He said to them, this is my body, which is broken for you, the body of Christ. And then carefully open the cup with the juice. Scriptures go on to tell us that when they had finished with the bread, that Christ took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take it as often as you do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. Father God, we thank you for these gifts that you've given us today, the gift of your broken body, the gift of your shed blood. And Father God, we thank you that in the midst of our struggle, we can know that salvation awaits us. Lord God, I I pray that we would demonstrate the same selflessness that we see in the life of Jesus that was demonstrated in the life of Joseph Lord, that we would humbly be ready to accept whatever comes from your hand, knowing that it is for your glory. And Lord, that in some way, through some means, it will come together for our good. God, give us the grace to trust you today. Give us the strength to follow you where we can't see. Lord, give us the the hope to persevere in the midst of what feels like a nightmare. Lord, cast for us a vision of hope that we might live into the dreams you have for us. God, I pray that you would encourage those here today that they would see your hand and your moving. Lord, that they would understand the greatness of your love, Lord, that, that the dream is 
constituted and contingent not upon our goodness, but upon your grace, the grace of Jesus. May we understand that our past doesn't keep us from the hope of the future. That what we've done or what's been done to us does not keep us from being in your hand or from your hand moving to bring about your glorious purpose in our lives. Lord, may we rely on you. May we seek to demonstrate your goodness and grace in our lives. May we be your hands and your feet, that we would pursue not just our dreams, but your dreams for us. God, work in our lives as only you can, and speak to us in these moments as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.